Welcome back to the Lighthouse Project podcast, a Children of Scientology production and a completely collaborative effort to chat about all the issues affecting the youngest members of Scientology who didn't choose it for themselves. Our goal is to help create awareness around what Scientology feels like specifically to a child, what becomes of them, their sense of self, family bonds, mental health, as only someone who experienced being raised in can, and some familiar topics in a different way, dig into how we can heal and share tools. In this podcast, we are going to share stories and information, some details of which may be upsetting or disturbing for listeners, specifically content involving sexual assault, rape, child sexual abuse, and psychological and physical abuse of children. We encourage anyone who has been affected by these types of experiences who wish to talk about it to someone to reach out to a trauma-informed organization in their area. In our last episode... We discussed and read from a letter written by the mother of Jane Doe One, which she wrote to the leader of Scientology, David Miscavige, to address the mishandling of the reported rape of her daughter. A fervent believer in Scientology, Jane Doe One's mother expressed that Elrond Hubbard's technology was not being appropriately and standardly followed that her daughter was being punished and ostracized, while seemingly little pressure had been applied to Danny Masterson or his co-conspirator, Luke Watson. She was distressed and upset with the reasonable attitude, as she describes it, by Scientology officials who told her daughter that Danny Masterson was just not up to the level of seeing it as rape. She was appealing to David Miscavige to correct the handling of the situation within the system of Scientology. In fact, what Jane Doe One's mother was having difficulty understanding was that this is the way that Scientology addresses these types of incidents, that more often than not, it is the victim that is punished, not the perpetrator. Fortunately, in this retrial, Judge Almedo allows for more Scientology to be brought in than was seen in the previous one, so that the jury may hear evidence and testimony of the victim's experience mindset and the ways that they were affected, such as how they initially reported it and tried to address it and the delays in reporting to law enforcement. To this effort, the prosecution called upon Scientology expert witness Claire Headley to shed light on the policies and practices of Scientology. Today we take a look at the testimony of Claire Headley regarding Scientology policies and practices. Claire entered the cadet org the Sea Org's child training camp, at a young age after her mother joined the Sea Org in England. Claire then joined the Sea Org herself and went on to become a top executive in RTC, which is the Religious Technology Center, and it's the body appointed to preserve the technology and ensure that standard practices are followed. Claire provides some details of her level of knowledge and experience in Scientology throughout her testimony. So, direct examination of Claire Headley by Deputy DA Ariel Ansom. And they get started. Claire basically defines Scientology to Ansem, who then asks her, how were you first exposed to it? Claire, I was born into it. At five, I was made to study policies. At 14, I was trained as a counselor and in interrogation techniques with a lie detector known as the E-meter. At 16, I became a member of the C organization, the Elite Intercore 
who are all senior to civilian Scientologists and manage the organizations. At 16, I started working at the headquarters, and then in 1996, I started working for Religious Technology Center, which is that highest ecclesiastical organization that's run by David Miscavige, the leader of Scientology. From 2000 to 2004, I was promoted within RTC, and on their org chart, I was number three. RTC is the policing organization that enforces Scientology. Anson, in terms of the RTC, you said that's at the top. And Claire says yes. So her life began with the bulk of her childhood in the cadet orgs, being indoctrinated and groomed 24-7, 365, with very little access to her family. And then as a young teen, trained as a child auditor. And Miriam touched on this briefly, and I really hope that we circle back and do its own series of episodes on what being a child auditor actually means in Scientology and in real life. Between the rigorous mind-bending training that we talked a little bit about to the adult content that it exposes you to and interrogating others, including adults, which is all unavoidable in Scientology auditing. And then she commits to this billion-year contract to be in the official Sea Org. So now she's holding an adult post and all the same demands and expectations put on adults in their Sea Org posts. And if that wasn't bad enough, she goes from the frying pan into the fire as a senior executive in the most senior org and number three under the nose of David Miscavige, which would be no picnic, to say the least. I mean, that's, yeah. All right. So continuing with this testimony. Ariel Anson says, have you studied Scientology principles and practices? Claire says, yes, extensively, at a conservative estimate, 10,000 hours. Anson, high school diploma. Claire says, no. Anson, college? No. What are the qualifications in Scientology? Claire says, I began delivering counseling at 14. I was in Seawark for 14 years. In addition, many positions required that I extensively studied the Hubbard Policies and Advices, which is a computer record. Wait, in Advices? Uh-huh. Is that? Oh, it's oh, it's called Advices? Yeah, oh. LRH Advices. It's basically, oh. he wrote these things, like policies. Yeah. And he wrote them I, when he was pretending not to run Scientology while running Scientology. For legal reasons. Oh. And I don't know if it was some financial thing, but he's... Oh, interesting. Off on the side. Like a CYA kind of totally. thing. Totally. So he's wow. sending them advices that they had to follow. Oh, I did not know that. Oh, God. Talk about shady. I'll find one and include it. I'll give an example. Yeah. There's, there's, there's some really horrific ones written about CR kids and the children on the RPF. That would be good to include. Yeah. Okay. Claire. In addition, many positions require that I extensively studied the Hubbard policies and advices, which is a computer record not generally available to the public. Anson. At AONCC, which is Advanced Organization and Celebrity Center, do they have all the policies and practices at those orgs? Claire. No, they do not. Anson. At RTC, did you have access to all of these policies and principles of Scientology? Claire. Yes, I did. They had a computer system, source information retrieval system, related to specific levels of Scientology, such as management, legal, every possible directive. Someone at CC would only have access to some policies and green volumes that the public would be able to access. And that's so interesting because that stands for SIRS. S-I-R-S. They love their acronyms. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, that is funny. That began after I left, so I'm not really familiar. But if it had LRH advices in it, probably included also like the eyes-only confidential policies that were too sensitive for general CRG members and lower orgs, mm -hmm. much less public. 
it would probably be pretty interesting stuff. Do you know what year this would have been? Like the the advices? When the advices started? Mm-hmm. No, I don't know off the top of my head. Like a ballpark? What I remember is probably late 70s, early 80s, where all these mm-hmm. advices coming. And that's when he was basically mm. kind of off the lines, I guess, living in a trailer. Yeah. Or hiding in hotels and motels. Isn't that such a, like a stereotypical cult leader? Howard Hughes, like, crazy? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's Waco. Textbook. Mm-hmm. It is Waco. I tried to tell my mother about that the other day and didn't get anywhere because she's mm. not completely mm-hmm. present. <laughs> sure. I was trying to tell her that he was on drugs and he was a liar. And she was like, yeah, he was. Yes. Anyways, <laughs> it was a good try. Uh, yeah. Okay. Anson, how do Scientologists view Scientology's rules as opposed to outside? Claire, the rules direct you how to respond to any situation and are senior to, and how you apply those laws of Scientology. Anson, so if there's a rule in Scientology and conflict with the rule of the U.S., what is a Scientologist to do? Claire, the Scientologist will follow the law of Scientology. Anson, is there an internal justice system in Scientology? Claire, there is an internal justice system, yes. Anson, if there's a crime that occurs to a member of Scientology and the perpetrator is also a member of Scientology, what is the process for the victim if they want to report the other member? Claire, the process is that they are to write a knowledge report to an ethics officer of their organization, and the ethics officer will determine what steps will be taken within Scientology. Anson, what is an ethics officer? Claire, person responsible for seeing to it that Scientologists adhere to their requirements as to their behavior, their participation in Scientology, and the ethics officer oversees the laws at an org level and deals with any reports that come in. Anson, what is a knowledge report? Claire, where you essentially write up details of transgressions. For example, if someone would write something negative about Scientology, you would write something about that person to an ethics officer. Anson, Do individuals write knowledge reports about themselves or others? Claire, it could be both ways. You can write one on yourself. It's not what generally happens. You are reporting your knowledge about something. I've seen someone write one on themselves, but mostly you would be writing one about your knowledge of someone else. And I think when I think about someone writing a knowledge report on themselves, I think because it's a snitching culture, if you don't rat yourself out and somebody else does, you get in more trouble. Or if you know about somebody else's crime and you don't report them, then you get in trouble. But, and this is a tangent, this reminds me so much of our mother who wrote reports on herself regularly and would route herself to ethics. And I was a kid and I didn't really understand what I was seeing. I just thought she was super annoying and trying to be incredibly pure, like some angel or something, and that every impure thought had to be disclosed. It was just really extreme. I found a dime on the ground. She would tell me to ask everyone in the parking lot if they had dropped their dime, which drove me bonkers. But now I think she probably lost her ability to self-regulate, and she needed to seek repentance, forgiveness, resolution outside of herself. Like, she couldn't process this stuff on her own anymore. What would Ron do was kind of her go-to thing, and it just... It's just, it's really sad. She was suffering and struggling with and not achieving success in life. And like we were hand to mouth our whole Scientology childhood, food stamps kind of thing. And she was an OT7 at the top of her bridge. We couldn't pay rent. 
but she was putting money aside for the services, library, for the free ones maiden voyage, but we couldn't make ends meet. We didn't have medical insurance, car insurance, which Scientologists rationalize as you don't need that if you're not PTS. But anyway, she wasn't flourishing and prospering. She was always roller coastering. And she was trying to figure out what she was doing wrong. Why is it working for everyone else and not me? But the fact was that Scientology was not working. And she was having mental health issues and cognitive dissonance. She'd invested her inheritance, sacrificed her family. She disconnected from all of us and had nothing to show for 20 years in Scientology except for these certificates, which didn't improve her life. And anyway, in the end, when we found her, she was quite deranged and in her apartment were stacks and stacks of reports on herself, like phone book, giant stacks on every flat surface, OW write-ups, reports on herself. She was really just trying to reason through all of this, reconcile, and she couldn't. And I just think that is hard for anyone that joins Scientology to get better, but especially like we were speaking the other day about one of the Jane Does who was brought into Scientology because she had a mental health issue. Victoria, you, you were experiencing this trauma and you're brought in and given only Scientology as a solution and it doesn't work. And it's just really tragic. Yeah. You know, and, and that's really devastating about your mom, too, and is. I, I want to say it's that like the stacks around her, the OWs is really symbolic for just what Scientology does to you in general, but specifically to somebody that is suffering from a mental illness mm. and cannot receive help. And then also, the more people I talk to that have gotten out, a lot of us have mental health issues and not just from Scientology, but I think they were already pre-existing and cults prey on people who are just mentally ill enough that they're vulnerable and they're seeking help. Mm -hmm. And I say just enough because somebody who's really experiencing intense symptoms, Scientology would not want to mm -hmm. touch and not want to be anywhere around mm -hmm. them for liability right, reasons. Right, but right. Um, it's true. But that's, yeah, it's really sad. Yeah. All right. Anson, you mentioned handling. What is that? Claire, in Scientology, when there's a transgression and you're having a problem with your position, maybe struggle with your boss, the ethics officer will give you steps to help you address that situation. Anson, if someone went to their ethics officer and reported another member for a crime, let's say for rape, is there a role the ethics officer takes in writing that report? Claire, yes, there is. In 1997, a code was implemented for things of a sensitive nature like rape were no longer written in reports. Copies go to RTC or OSA, and they would use codes to remove those terms. Anson, would an ethics officer get involved in how that knowledge report was written or supervise the writing? Claire, yes. Yes. The ethics officer would be involved, particularly when it's sensitive in nature and when it involves more than one Scientologist. And again, things of a sensitive nature are not written down. The priority in Scientology is to avoid anything that would give bad repute to Scientology. And Scientologists expect that when it involves another Scientologist, it's handled inside the organization, and you would not report to the police, and that you would need permission from the International Justice Chief to do so. I would not see police call. They would be handled using Scientology justice procedures. Yikes. I mean, that right there. So they made up code language to conceal 
abuses, which to me means we know these are abuses. Scientologists can say all they want. Oh, we didn't know. Oh, it was out to D with these euphemisms. But the fact that they're changing language to conceal these abuses is just such a giant red flag to me. I know there was one like out to D to the extreme or extreme out to D meant child molestation or rape or statutory rape. And security had to start using this special language to describe it above and beyond the euphemisms. How, yeah. So I, just how interesting that they have these code words and we can't say rape, can't say assault, can't say all these things. But in auditing sessions, it's fine to ask a child if you've raped somebody in another yeah, lifetime that, using that terminology. That's pretty crazy. And that's a really good point. It's okay uh-huh. in session, but it's not okay if someone might see it outside of, then we call it something different. Right. That's a really good point. Victoria. Yeah. I didn't catch that. That's systemic. Oh, it is. It's just like a, an abuse. abuse ring. Like, yeah, it's Scientology, Pizzagate. Mm-hmm. And also, ew, handling. You say that. And it, like that word and other Scientology words are really triggering. And I assume that they trigger others. Handling. That meant basically you were going to be told mm. how something was going to go and what was going to make it better and what you had to be put through in order to get there. So, oh, we're going to do a handling. Yuck. All of these things that are just so thought-stopping and put you in your place very quickly. Yeah, that is so triggering. It's funny, side note. But Sean, my husband, he he worked at the Wise Company with me. He was never in Scientology, but because he was a part of Wise, he knows everything. And I hear him on the phone talking to his coworkers, and he'll use words like handling and cycle. <laughs> and I have to remind him, they don't know anything about Scientology. They're just like normal people with their corporate jobs, and he's talking to them. Like, they don't know what a cycle is. How long did he work at that <laughs> wise not... company that he picked up the, the, the lingo? Oh, probably a decade. Oh, plenty long. Okay, or so. Like it's into you. Yeah. Eight to but ten But they years. didn't get him into Scientology <laughs> in ten years. Well, he did courses through work. So he did all of the, basically like the life improvements and some TRs in the course room too. And he did it as kind of prerequisites. No, you kind of had That's to, really yeah. I've heard yeah. that, but I love that he didn't yeah. fall into the trap. Oh, That's he would intense. never. No. And did they pay and for the courses? Did the employer pay for it? Like training? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you did not pay for it. And it's it's really interesting because a lot of his friends growing up, they were all in the Sunland Tahunga area, which for some reason is a hub for Scientologists. And a lot of his friends were Scientologists. And not to get too much on that tangent either, but one day, maybe if we ever talk about wise companies, talk about like legal issues too, because I was just telling him about it. A lot of our employees were not allowed to get raises or promotions until they got back on lines if they were already Scientologists from the, like the CEO and CFO were were OT7s or something. And I was in HR. That's not so made it really murky. Or weird, strange. 100%. That's really interesting. We had lots of lawsuits come in and Tim Bowles was our attorney on retainer and he would just make him go away. Subtle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was awful. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what you get when you try to yeah. force people in a workplace yeah. or environment. Settle or settle or threatened. threatened. Yeah. Okay. Or more like they silenced. went away. Yeah. Went away. Yeah. 
Yeah. So Anson says, what is good standing? And there's another one. Like, oh, as a child, even as an adult, how I hated that. It was this threat of you not being a good standing, this label that was full of judgment. And even if you weren't on ethics lines, you weren't an SP, you hadn't committed a crime, you didn't have a freeloader's debt, but you would be not in good standing if you had a freeloader's debt. At any moment, someone could decide that you were not in good standing and just put that label on you. And your friends would drop you. It could cost you your job. You wouldn't be able to go on Scientology property, so you couldn't attend events, see your friends. And as a kid, that it was just like having cooties. We're not in good standing. And to me, it was just really socially damaging. So they not only do they have a bajillion euphemisms and its own language, but they label everyone. You're, you're constantly labeling people, which can be really devastating. Anson, what is <laughs> good standing? Claire, it refers to your status as a Scientologist. Are you attending 12 and a half hours of training per week? Are you donating to the IAS, International Association of Scientologists, which is their war jest? Are you bringing in other members? Are you not talking negatively about Scientology and not violating its laws? Anson, have you heard of ethics protection? Claire, it's a policy written by Hubbard which refers to the fact that Scientology or a staffer or member of the Sea Org is in good standing and is doing what is expected of them. Then they have ethics protection. And if a report is received on them, it should be filed with a yawn. Anson, what does filed with a yawn mean? Claire, you file it in a person's ethics files and you take no further action. Anson, have you ever heard of the term human emotion and reaction? Claire, yes. H-E-N-R is a term that means any emotion, and that's not something you want to be expressing in your communication. Things like grief or anger. Anson, what does the word victim mean? And here we go again. <laughs> He's going all out on these disgusting <laughs> words that Scientology perverted for us. Like, they're, these are basically four-letter words, especially to children. And they're forever imprinted in my mind. Stop being a victim. Anyway. Yeah, the stop being oh. a victim. God, that's that's such a triggering thing. Just like right up there with handling. But one thing that like really sticks in my brain is I think one of the last times I ever talked to my brother and he was being, I guess, investigated by CPS because there was a report out on him that he had had some inappropriate contact with the child. I was defending said person because he was asking me if I thought that he would be capable of that, basically asking if the person was lying. And I said, well, I, I don't know, I, but I know what it's like to not be believed, so I'm going to believe the person. And he called me a victim's advocate, but like he meant it in a mean way. <laughs> and I was like, I think in that moment, the word victim kind of flipped for me because I always had that very negative, don't be a victim. Like even when I was in therapy, it was hard for me to hear that I was a victim mm. of assault and it felt gross and dirty and I and it would make mm. me angry. But when I heard him say that, I'm like, oh, you know what? Victim's not a bad thing. Actually. How funny yeah. that you use that term. Yeah. Yoy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anson, what does the word victim mean? Claire. A negative term in Scientology, you are low on the emotional tone scale, which is states of being from low to high. In the middle is 0.0, .0 which is body death. 0 0.1 is victim. 
Hubbard talks about that. Anyone below 2.0 is succumbing. That is what Scientology endeavors to improve. Anyone who is in a lower tone level is likely to lie and can't be trusted. Victim is 0.1, and victim is a negative word that Scientologists do not use. If something bad happens to you, it's because you have committed bad transgressions. Anson. If the victim wants to take it outside, what is the process? Claire. They would be required to have special authorization to do that through the IJC. That's what's written. Personally, I've never seen that be approved, but that's what's written in policy. Anson. If a person requests permission from the IJC and the permission is denied, what happens to them if they do not listen and still go to an outside org like law enforcement? Claire, it would be a high crime, also known as a suppressive act, and you would be named a suppressive person, and you would lose connection with other Scientologists and also could result in you being expelled from Scientology. I love that she said, personally, I've never seen that be approved. But that's what's written in the policy. So all her time, all these years in this senior position and in the Sea Org and in Scientology, she's never actually seen be approved that someone be allowed to go outside against another Scientologist anyway. And as we know, though, they do allow them to go outside to pursue filing charges against non-Scientologists, which is such a double standard. So Anson says, what is a non-interpolation order? Claire, Scientology's version of a gag order. Interbulation is disturbance, so you are not allowed to do that anymore, and you're put on notice publicly by a piece of paper put on the notice board, and anyone in the org knows that you're under this gag order. And if you do anything else causing upset, you'll be declared a suppressive person. Anson, if you're declared a suppressive person, then that person can be expelled from the organization? Claire, actually expelled from Scientology. Anson, is there any handling for someone who's declared? Claire, yes, they're ordered to complete A through E steps to make a confession of crimes, pay back money you might owe, make up the damage, do an ethics condition, all to get back into good standing. The only person you can talk to during that is the international justice chief, who would then approve that you've done the right steps, restoring you to good standing. Anson, if an individual is speaking negatively about Scientology, is there a policy about how that person can be handled? Claire. We're talking about a civilian uh, knowledge report would be written and they would be called in to be talked to by the ethics officer to address what's going on. Anson, a person who's been declared if they are speaking negatively. Claire, we're talking about someone who's in Scientology's eyes is an enemy. There are many policies of fair game, which are to discredit, destroy utterly and undermine them so that they do not speak negatively about Scientology anymore. Anson. When someone leaves and is deemed a suppressive person, can members still have a relationship with them? Claire, no, they cannot. It's a policy. We have a couple of documents for this episode, and one is a non-interbulation order. The other is a suppressive person to Claire. And then we've touched on these before and shared some examples, but these are more recent. And they're both on kids that were raised in, that were heavily groomed, indoctrinated, trafficked into the sea organization. One was brought over from Russia with the promise of a better life, and the other one was raised in the CR and spent years on its prison program called the Rehabilitation Project Force. And I just think they're perfect examples of what Claire is describing. So I actually would like to read the non-interpolation order now because it's just incredibly ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So this is a flag service org ethics order. 
from 2005. Non-interbulation mm-hmm. order. Blank is hereby placed under non-interbulation order. It was recently found that Blank had been false reporting his statistics of different types of promo pieces over a five-month period. Shortly after this coming to light, and Blank being confronted with this, he walked off his post and has blatantly refused to go back on since. This is now the third time he has walked off his post in the past year. By his actions, he has left his hat for others to have to handle and is therefore creating interbulation. Further, it has come to light that Blank has been found engaging in second dynamic activities with another during production time and has also committed financial irregularities by having promotional items printed without being approved. Blank is forbidden to cause any further interbulation, and if one more report is received about him interbulating anyone, a suppressive person declare will be issued forthwith. Fort Harrison Staff MAAFSO, authorized by the L. Ron Hubbard Communicator Flag Service Org for the Church of Scientology Flag Service Organization. So apparently he had had romantic time with his wife when he was supposed to be working. At any rate, it's just ridiculous. Word. So this poor guy, for the world to see, everyone he knows, this goes on the board to shame him because he walked off post because he was pissed off or whatever and had a date with his wife when he should have been working. And that is causing interbulation to the group. And he might be declared a suppressive person. Like, that is so bonkers. I've never heard of anything so mild being made into such a big deal. Mm. That I mean, that's really cults for you. We we called it being declared, but others call it excommunication. And there's so many different flavors of being kicked out of a group. Right. Out of and a cult. That, in that very text holding that over your head. Yeah, disfellowshipping, whatever. But that that holding this this threat right over your head that if you don't shape up. There it's a big It's a big abuser. It's just Scientology is one giant abuser. That's what abusive people do is they cut you off. I know we've said this ad ad nauseum in this before, but it's like I'm still processing through it even now. Yeah, I'm going to keep saying it. They they will cut you off from everyone that you love Mm -hmm. so that they can control you. Anson, why are you here today? Claire. On my own volition to teach people about the practices of Scientology, which I learned as a Sea Org member and in RTC for eight Love years, that so and that is my goal. Okay, so now we've heard from Anson, so we're, now we're doing the cross-examination from Masterson's defense attorney, Sean Holly. So Holly asks, you left in 2005 and you were 30? Claire says, yes. Holly, so for a large part of the time you were a child. Claire. I worked for 14 years as a Sea Org member, working 80-plus hours a week. So maybe you might think of a 16-year-old as a child, but I was holding a management position. Holly. But part of that time, you were a baby and a child. Claire. I spent my first 30 years in Scientology. Absolutely love that response, and I think ineffectively trying to completely discredit her Uh childhood years. But as we know, and we're hoping to educate other people of, there aren't children in Scientology or children are not treated like children in Scientology and certainly not in the C organization because the founder wrote that they're just ageless spirits in small bodies. I think Claire handled that 
perfectly. She did. That was no nonsense. Okay, so Holly, would you agree that a foundational Mm -hmm. principle is that Scientologists follow the law of the land? Claire, I think that mischaracterizes the policies. (laughs) That just killed me. I think that's so awesome. Holly, would you agree (laughs) that a foundational principle is if it isn't written, it isn't so? Claire, if it isn't written, it isn't true. Yes, that's a foundational principle. Holly, anything that happens in Scientology must come from Scripture. Claire, Scripture, policies, a voluminous amount of information for Scientologists, and they drive the practices of Scientology. Holly, and you would say the language is literal and precise? Claire, you'd have to clarify that question. Holly, nothing further. That was a brilliant attempt of hers to misdirect and confuse. And using Scientology's own insinuation of being law-abiding, like things that you say but you don't do, and they try to use that as plausible deniability. Oh, look, this policy says we we do good. We follow the laws of man or whatever. But these other 19,000 policies say we don't. It's so intentionally confusing and misdirecting. So they have cover. But I think Claire handled that and all of this exquisitely. And I I can't even wait to have her on our show and dig into her experiences and ask uh-huh. a few questions of our own. I'm so excited we didn't tell anyone that we were doing that. This is the first time we're saying it. We're going to have Claire Headley. Yeah. I'm so excited. I'm excited. I'm so excited. I can't even wait. I can't <laughs> wait to get a little deeper and talk a little bit about yeah. that child angle of her experience there. Although I really hope that we'll have her on separately to interview her on her whole story. But this, as an expert witness, it's just so, so thrilling that she would be on the stand as an expert witness, that so many things that have come to pass, it's just like everything has built on everything. And it's frustrating that things take so long, but I think we're really in an incredible place right now. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, I think so too. Thank you for sharing your stories, for being vulnerable, honest, and helping others to connect with our sometimes difficult truths and pretty unique experiences. We know personally how important these conversations are to have privately, but we also feel strongly they are powerful to have publicly. So we look forward to having them with each other and you and including other voices as we can. As always, please check in with yourselves. This has been lots of great information, but a lot of details that could be hard to digest, especially if you are a survivor of abuse as well. We're just so appreciative of everyone listening because this is really meant to be a part of a community. We're all here together, finally. So we very much appreciate you as a part of our village. Thank you so much. We will speak with you next time. 